You know, you think it's what every pastor says. You think you know something until you actually have to teach it. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot about the gospel, a lot about Jesus that just this letter brings brings right in your face with really helpful Christ-centered words for what God has done for us. And so we're going to read the end of this letter. It's final greetings, right? We're reading someone else's mail that God designed for us to read as well. And what I want to do today is, is remember we're getting a glimpse of early life in the church within 20 to 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. And what Jesus called the church is to be a light, the light of the world, a city on a hill, to be a, a beautiful community that people see and give thanks to God for. Right? And you get a glimpse of that here in this text, I think. And so we're going to just look a little bit about the intention of the church and summarize the letter even as we look at who these people are uh, in, in the final greetings. And I think it'll, it'll help. It'll be helpful, a good way to summarize the gospel according to Paul written to the Colossians. So let's, let's read it and then we'll pray. This is the word of our God. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities, says Paul. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and how he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is God's word. It is true and trustworthy. He's spoken to us today in his son in love. Let's pray. Our Father, you have sent us Jesus, humble, righteous, gentle, and bringing salvation. And I just pray you would help us see that today so that we might live as you've called us to be, a city on a hill, a light in the world, uh, the, the light of the world, a beautiful community where people are attracted to Christ through us as we do the good works you've equipped us to do. So Holy Spirit, come, uh, give me words that are clear, uh, and do the, do the work of pouring out the love of our Father in our hearts yet again, and give us, give us even more awareness that this story is true. 
And so we ask this in Christ's name, who loves us and has freed us from our sins. Amen. Amen. So in a moment, I want you to listen with me uh, to these names that are found in this early church. Uh, These were real men and women who committed, who made sacrifices, who followed Jesus, um, those whom Christ loved, people like us. It's a good reminder that not only do we follow a Jesus who is historical and real, this is not a cleverly devised myth. Um, So also were there real people who made it possible for us to be here today. You can follow the, the story being told generation to generation as the church built on the the testimony of the apostles and prophets still carries on today all right so we we get to see colossians a true story about people who lived sinned repented believed the gospel and figured out how to do this thing together in a local community just like we're doing so listen to the names and i'll describe who they are and give them some detail here but but it's good to pause and say you know somebody looked at a membership booklet of Hope Church, what would be said about you? What would be said about me? Right, so he starts off with Tychicus, the letter carrier. He's called a beloved brother. Right? Church is like a family. He's a faithful servant. Christ is a king. He's, he's doing what he's called to do. Right, you've got Onesimus, which we talked about last week, the, the repentant slave. Paul's very heart someone who is very dear uh, to, to this pastor, and maybe even a possible future pastor, right? We talked about that last week. You've got Aristarchus, someone who's in prison, most likely with Paul, proclaiming for just talking about Jesus' resurrection, calling others to believe. You've got Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, somebody who was not on Paul's good side, and now he is again, right? They've reconciled. They've, they've lived out what, uh, what Paul's called him to do. Right? And, and most likely, this is also the author of the Gospel of Mark. That, that's what many scholars think. And then you have justice. And Paul says, these three Jewish men, right, ethnically Jewish, followers of Jesus, um, right, they're, they're a great encouragement to Paul. And and then you see not only there are three Jews, but there's three Gentiles. And, and this is what I want you to see. This is a mini, beautiful picture of Christ's kingdom. You've got three Jews, three Gentiles, all working together for Christ's kingdom. Right? I mean, the, the, the political divides and things that we experience today, um, I think they're not as bad as what Jew and Gentile divide was back then. Right? And here they are, ordinarily having nothing to do with each other, working together, calling each other family, following Jesus, right? So you got three Jews, and then you have three Gentiles. Epaphras, he was the church planner who started the church in Colossians. He clearly loves these people as he prays for them. You have Luke the physician, the author of the Gospel of Luke and Acts. You have Demas, probably the same guy who believes now, but Paul says later in Timothy, taps out on his faith and leaves Paul for love, out of love for this world. But at least now, right, he's serving the church. So then you have, th- you have 
Three Jews, three Gentile followers of Jesus. Right? And so this is, this is where I'm going to just build off that picture as Paul sends greetings to this other church, so he sees them connected, um, that you, you have a clear picture of what the church is like. You have diversity. You have people who are radically different from each other in upbringing and interest before Jesus. You have sinners and saints, right? You've got Mark and Paul who disagreed and got back together. You've got Demas who was tempted to love things that Jesus told him not to love. There's followers of Jesus here with Paul around prison who are both helpful and, and potentially hurtful. Sounds like the church. And what I, what I love about this is, is you get a glimpse of how Paul thinks about the church. Right? Just imagine you yourself saw the risen Jesus in a pro- private life-altering experience, would you feel like you needed any other Christians to be assured? Paul needed friendship. He needed comfort. He needed encouragement, assistance, meals. Someone to assist him. He needed the physical presence of other believers as someone, an apostle, who saw the risen Jesus. I mean, I mean, we're talking about one of, probably, at least in the top five of most influential men who've ever lived on planet Earth. And he is a dependent person on the church. He was not a lone ranger. And so, right, if Paul needed the church to, to follow Jesus, to, to go through hardship and trouble, what about us? What about you? You can keep going as you get this picture. You have the church in Laodicea and the church in Colossae connected. They're sharing resources. They're sharing Paul's letters back and forth. They're both submitting and saying, Paul, you have the right to tell us what to believe and what to do. We believe Jesus told you to do that. Which, here I see a shameless plug for Presbyterian church government. They're connected. (laughs) Another sermon. right? But Nympha has a, a house church. She's sharing her resources with a, a local, some local Christians. And this is a place where people are held accountable because you have Archippus, that poor guy, he's the only one in the list who gets called out for, for slacking. <laughs> he's, he must be a procrastinator. He, he has something that Jesus told him to do, and Paul's encouraging him to finish it, to complete it. And so, pull all this together, just as Zechariah in chapter 9 foretold when Jesus shows up, bringing salvation when the Messiah shows up, humble, bringing salvation by grace. The Lord's goodness and beauty is going to attract all kinds of people. And so I'm going to call this sermon, a church, is a, uh, church a Beautiful Community, because that's what we're being formed into, a community of gr- people who believe the gospel. So what does that look like and how do you get there? I think this passage is going to help us see, as well in the rest of the Colossians, to, to have a community like this that's dependent on one another, able to forgive one another, doing all these things. It, first, it depends on the scriptures. A beautiful community is founded on the scriptures, and you see that here in the text, right? 
that this multi-ethnic, the, the kind of community our culture is just mad that we don't have right now. <laughs> I'll put it that way. It's impossible to do that without the scriptures, to have people with very strong self-wills coming together, willing to put that will to death for the sake of another, to build friendships, to call each other family. Beautiful community is impossible without the Bible being true, without us submitting to the scriptures as our sole authority for faith and practice. It's impossible unless everybody in the church has this attitude that God's words in in this right? We're written not to us, but for us, and then ultimately to us (laughs) in Christ, right? If we're in Mississippi, you get a good old amen, and we just move on in the Bible Belt. But because we're up here in in New York, right, that's going to raise some eyebrows to, to say that for community to happen, you need the scriptures. If you're skeptical of that, reach out. I'll be happy to talk to you about it. But Jesus has formed around Paul, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, um, love across racial divides. And Colossians 3 shows us that's supposed to be the normal. Expect to come to church and not see people like you and stay anyway. (laughs) How countercultural is that? Because how else are you going to learn how to live with someone who's different and have the motivation to stay when it gets uncomfortable? Christ is all and in all in Colossians 3, in Greek and Jew, in slave and free. And they're commanded to love one another for Christ's sake. See, this kind of community is only possible if you believe the Bible is God's word, true and trustworthy and revealed to us for our good. Look at at chapter 4, just Colossians in general. We'll start in chapter 1, and then we'll get to Colossians 4. But Paul has an authority from God, and you see that right in the very first verse that we talked about 20 weeks ago. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And then in verse 25 of chapter 1, Paul is a minister of the gospel by the stewardship given to him by God to make the word of God fully known. He says, I am here to show you Jesus. God gave me the ability to do so for you. So my authority to tell you what to do and what to believe, that was given to me by God, not for me to lord it over you, but to serve you. It's for you. Paul gave... God gave Paul the authority to build the churches, to build them up, to be an instrument of revelation. <laughs> so a beautiful community is not possible unless you, have, unless you believe this is true, that you can trust Paul because Jesus sent him. Right? Second, you see, Paul absolutely knows that he has this unique authority. He absolutely knows. You see it here when he says, by the way, not only do you want to read my letter, I want you to send it to another church. And I want you to read this, the letter I sent to them and do that. Right? Paul is aware that as an apostle sent by Jesus to, to love, to care for, to steward the local churches, 
even churches that he did not start, that he did not have um, an intimate hand in forming, he still sees himself as someone that they should trust because of Jesus. Right. So go read it. I mean, some think that letter to the Laodicean church is the letter of Ephesians that we have in the scriptures. It's possible. It's one of those historical unknowns. Right. But I want you to see, this is the Bible being worked out in real space in real time. I don't know, how many years? 200 plus years before the Council of Nicaea? Right. You know that, that myth out there that the church just made the Bible say whatever they wanted 300 years after Jesus rose from the dead? You see Paul right here functioning as an apostle saying, this is God's word, this is from Jesus for you. Submit, because I love you and I'm willing to suffer for you. That's in the letter of Colossians. So for, for us as Hope Church to become this kind of community, we have to really believe, each and every one of us, that the Bible itself is our only rule for faith and practice. It's our only authority for faith and practice. It tells us not only the doctrines, you know, who God is, what he's like, um, but then also how do you live? What do you do? What does it look like to follow Jesus? Right? It's, it's the authority. That even when I teach, I am under authority. I, I am called to teach what this says and just say it in a way that gets your attention and trust that the Holy Spirit will convict you. But it's, I'm, I'm a messenger. So do you believe that? I mean, what's fascinating is this picture, is you have the majority of the authors of the New Testament all in one place. You've got the longest gospel, Luke. You've got, Luke and Acts, right? That, that together is massive. And then you have Paul, the, the author of 13 letters of the New Testament, Right, that, that's a good chunk of what we've got in the Bible. That everything we have in the New Testament that we believe is true and trustworthy, that I'm calling you to believe is for your good, it's immediately connected to those who were there, to those who saw the risen Jesus. We, we trust them. Right? Here's Luke, Luke 1.1. 1, 1. Just as those who were from the beginning and were eyewitnesses and ministers of the words have delivered them to us, now, Theophilus, I'm writing to you an orderly account. And part of what Luke says when he wrote his gospel, I heard about this stuff from other people. And I'm going to interview those witnesses and, and structure it and order it to tell you, Theophilus. Luke says, I am writing what I received from someone else. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, it comes from, the tradition says, as you trace the, the story, it's from Peter, the apostle. So Mark is written, with, it's received information straight from somebody who was there. That's why there's so much emphasis in Mark on Peter and his screw-ups. Paul, when he writes, he says, this is something I received 1 Corinthians 15, I tell you of what is first importance of what I received that is also found in the scriptures in the Old Testament. And so here's the point. Jesus is head of the church. 
he chose to use the apostles, those who were there, who saw his resurrection, to then use that authority given by Jesus to run the church, to tell us how to live, to form us into this beautiful community that Paul is experiencing. So if we want Hope Church to grow, to change, to be faithful, we have to trust the scriptures. And I know that's easier to talk about than to put into practice. <laughs> um, as soon as you say, what does the Bible say? People's feelings get involved. Um, but start here. Some of us just need to learn the content, right? Cause, because you're just starting out, and that's normal. That's how kids learn. I don't expect Samson uh, to be able to, to outline deep doctrines, right? He just tells me to feed him because he's two. Right? If you're just barely following Jesus, you're in an information gathering mode, and that's an important place to start to give you a foundation. Right? To grow in our knowledge of Christ and the Bible. To know that for as hard as the Bible may seem to read, the really important stuff is clear. It's clear. Above all, put on love. Forgive one another. That's right there in the middle of Colossians. That's clear. Uh, Jesus died for all of your trespasses on the sin. It was nailed to the cross. That's Colossians. That's pretty clear. You're in Christ. Trust him. It's simple enough for a child to believe and and deep enough for for the big brains to hang out in an ivory tower and write us books. But if you're just starting, no, it's clear. And one of the ways Paul helps you understand, wants you to learn how to read the Bible, right in the beginning of Colossians 1, he says, Pray that you'll be filled. He prays that you'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Be given spiritual wisdom and understanding. That the Spirit will help you understand who Jesus is and what his will is for your life by reading the scriptures. Right? So there's no shame in saying, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to encourage you. We have all been there at some point. Jesus had to go through that same process as a human. He was just like us. He was a child asking lots of questions. Second, and this is where it becomes more pointed, so warning. The Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice, but we all have a but that follows that statement. we, We can acknowledge that statement in our heads, but there's something else that always says, yeah, maybe, but. Maybe it's a favorite author or a blog our opinions, our feelings, our emotions, particular talking head you've listened to lately, right? And we live surrounded by a cultural mindset that says, uh, you have an inner voice, and that's the most important voice you could ever listen to. Only you can say what is true for you. To which I would say, how's that working out for you? In love, of course. So I get my, my inner voice gets me in trouble. See, for the Christian, we're called to say, what does the Bible say about that? Because we know that's, what Jesus, that's where Jesus speaks to me. Right? That's, that's the dividing line. That's the, the lens, the filter through which I try and figure out life. And it doesn't tell you every nitty-gritty detail. It doesn't tell you whether you should put your sock on your left foot or your right. right? That takes wisdom. You figure it out. It's part of being human, but it does tell you um, that you can put your socks on guilt-free. 
because there's no condemnation in Christ. <laughs> See, for the Christian, we submit to the authority of what Jesus tells us to do, and that's, that's the lens. The voice that you hear is the voice of the Good Shepherd Jesus. So what authorities, what authority is shaping the way you see, the way you think, the way you love, right? the way you relate to government, the way you relate to your neighbors, the way you do your job? Right? Do you trust that Jesus, for the good of the church, gave Paul the authority on how to think about these things? Christians are unoriginal people. We're telling the same story over and over again and just figuring out how to live it out in our particular space and time. Turns out that story is the best story ever told, so it grips everyone in every generation. But it comes with authority, God himself. If you say, I find parts of the Bible hard to digest, well, that is also part of being in the church. Who better than to help you process these hard passages than someone else who has been there? The Apostle Paul. Who read the Bible wrong and had to eat crow and tell everyone I was wrong. I was zealous for the wrong thing. See, if we pick and choose what we like, and this is the danger here, right? It sets you up for a mechanical relationship with God where you program exactly what you want God to be like as you pick and choose what's in the scriptures. Rather than having a living, holy, personal God who graciously transcends to come down and to instruct us and to woo us with his word, as J.I. Packer put it. A living relationship. The only way to be in a relationship is, is to let someone else tell you you are wrong. Tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> That's what this Bible does. That's why the covenant is described as a marriage contract. We understand those terms. So, are you convinced that beautiful community depends and demands belief that the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice? Paul is living that out right here, right now. That's how he, he's writing to the church, telling them what to do. And that's, that's why he has the relationships he has with Gentiles. So, Second, second point here, beautiful community depends on everyone submitting to the scriptures. It also depends on every member maturity, which is the goal of the church. Every member maturity. You can see that in verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, this church planner, he's a servant. He's always struggling for the Colossian church and his prayers so that they all, you all, it says you, but it should say y'all, may stand mature and fully assured in, in the will of God. Right? And he, he's doing that not just for one church, but for all the churches he's connected to. That the goal of being a Christian is that you'll be made complete. You'd grow up, that I would grow up. Right? That those are his prayer soaked goals, that we would stand mature and fully assured in the will of God, meaning confident that you, in what God has said to you. And it's a struggle. For sure. I mean, that's what I love about the image. Epaphras is struggling in prayer that they would want to mature. Right? To struggle as an athletic image, uh, 
Paul uses the same language. I've fought the good fight. I've ran the good race. I mean, there's some of you out there that are, are gluttons for punishment and run 26.2 miles. That's agony. That's a struggle. That's, that's the journey towards maturity. We agonize in prayer that others would mature. Every Christian. It's like a parenting race. It's a long work. Right? Teaching, waiting, teaching, waiting, correcting, waiting, teaching, waiting. Will they hear me? And will they do it? And as they grow, you find out years later that they actually heard something. <laughs> you get to rejoice at the fruit of your labor. But it's a struggle. And it requires prayer. But the goal is for this community to be beautiful, to be knit together. We have to aim at maturity together. Every member working towards maturity as we ask God's help to get there. In the letter of Colossians, what did that look like? Well, the image of bearing fruit. Right? Increasing in your knowledge of God and increasing in your love of other Christians. And, how, and your obedience of keeping these commands. Forgiving each other, bearing with each other. Uh, a faith that when life stinks, you don't tap out. That's fruit. That's maturity. It's an ordinary Christian experience for that to happen, right? Where you're going along and all of a sudden, bam, 2020 hits. <laughs> and it's hard. And all of a sudden, the sun, the warm sun of God's love is just hidden behind the clouds. Will you persevere? Will you endure with patience? Or will you try and run away? See, maturity means in the moment you learn it is a learning that even this even this will not separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus because you're in Christ so you endure with patience maturity is not an easy process ask Jesus you know how he was made mature pretty sure it's the same word made complete through suffering through struggling, through agony, for the joy set before him. So will you join us in the work? To join us to aim at maturity, it's going to require teachability for sure. <laughs> um, anyway, this is one of the ways I saw this work out as, as a local church was in Cortland. When I got there as a youth pastor, one of the elders in the church, a guy named Harley Albro, I mean, he had held this little church together for decades. I mean, he was the faithful warrior. I mean, much like Bob Hornline what has been and was for us. And um, what, what was astonishing is Harley came from Baptist convictions for a good 70 years. <laughs> this church was 100 years old. And so when they called my friend Mick to be the pastor, and he, he was hearing different things, strange words, that he, but it was in the Bible. And one of the things he modeled really well for everyone in the community is saying, I am willing to learn. Because what he is saying is not his ideas, it's he's showing me in the Bible that this is true. Right? And what happened, and I think it became contagious, is the majority of the church was in the basement of the church for Sunday school, just pouring over what, it, what does the Bible say about the covenant. But it was, I think it was the example of someone who modeled that, who was older and even at 70, was saying, I'm, I'm willing to admit I was wrong. 
to be corrected. But together, they, they aimed for maturity, and they went through this process of joining the PCA relatively peacefully. I mean, it, it was a struggle along the way, but they emerged friends. See, that's, that's the point, is teachability means we're all in this together, willing to learn. And if you don't understand, willing to ask. And it is hard work. I mean, just imagine being Archippus. <laughs> you're, you're minding your own business, sermon's going, and all of a sudden somebody says your name and says, by the way, you finished what I told you to do, <laughs> what Jesus told you to do. That's our worst fear of being in a sermon, that someone would call us by name and say, you, you're the worst, Fig figure it out. If that's not what Paul is doing, he's not trying to shame him. He's trying to motivate him. Finish what Jesus called you to do. Right. Work towards maturity. Finish what you started. Don't tap out. See, a beautiful Christ-centered community is founded on the scriptures, on the testimony of the, the prophets and the apostles, on the scriptures, but it also means every member is involved. That's, that's the second point here. When everyone does what they're able with a willingness to learn, we, we're working together for the kingdom of God. So what is the ministry Jesus is calling you to do? What are you being called to do? A meal? Think about becoming a deacon? Think about growing in your knowledge of the scriptures? participating in a Bible study, teaching Sunday school. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to serve. Learning audiovisual stuff. It's all fresh. I can teach you. <laughs> right? But beautiful community requires all hands on deck. And that's... And the, be the beauty of that is, comes on the third point here. Beautiful community depends on grace. It depends on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? This is how we'll end. Grace and peace to you all from God our Father starts this letter. And grace be with you all ends the letter, written with Paul's own hand. Colossians is a letter that beautifully articulates the grace of God to Christians in Christ Jesus from beginning to end. He gives you doctrine and practice. And, and this is what I want you to meditate on and, and be left with. What makes a Christian community even possible, much less attractive? It's the grace of God to us in Christ. Grace be with you as you try and do these things. We need the grace of God to be forgiven. We need the grace of God actively working in us in this moment to continue to love others. Right? We need both. And that's what I love about Colossians. It holds them together really well by showing that Jesus is the center. Because ordinarily we think, okay, I'm forgiven. Now I don't have to do anything. And I've got a debt free, I've got a get out of jail free card. And then there's other churches who are saying, well, we gotta, we got to be busy for Jesus and we got to try with all of our might to do everything Jesus says and they presume and assume grace. And it just sounds exhausting especially if you've ever been in that community where you constantly feel like you never measure up. Right? And what Paul does together is says, hey, you have a new life in Christ that includes forgiveness and it also includes obedience because they're gathered around 
and connected to the person who was crucified, dead, and raised for you. See, a beautiful community needs grace for your past, for your present, and for your future. Not just the, the bad things you do, but even help to do the good things. We call it union with Christ. You are in Christ. Right. And so, let's run through this. We are a Presbyterian church, which means our very foundation is that when we read the scriptures, what we see clearly is that from beginning to end, the Bible is a story about how God has been gracious to sinners who do not deserve his continued affection. And it culminates with him giving his son to die for his enemies, to make, to make them sons. Right. And the way we summarize it with these words, I had to, I had to memorize these for, for seminary, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's worth, it's just trying to summarize what the Bible says. And just listen to how the, the language of how it's described. These are questions 33 to 38 if you want to use the Google uh, in the future. Westminster Shorter Catechism 33 to 38, right? Justification. It's an act of God's free grace where he calls you what you are not. Right? Where, where all of our sins are pardoned and we are accepted as righteous, as perfect in God's sight only because what Jesus did is given and imputed to us and received by faith alone. But notice how it starts. It's an act of God's free grace. Adoption. Also an act of God's free grace. Where we're given all the rights and privileges of being called sons of God. You can call God Father. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. Right? It's the work of God's free grace. Where we're being changed into Christ's image, dying to sin, and living to righteousness. God is at work in you to help you do what is pleasing in his sight. But that, even that's a, a work of grace. We need help. Grace has a benefit program. That's question 36. Right? The benefits which come and flow from justification, adoption, sanctification. You get assurance of God's love. You get peace of conscience. Able to go about knowing God's not mad at me. Uh, you get joy in the Holy Ghost. You get increase of grace. You can get more grace. Enough for each day. Including perseverance to the end. Holding on in the midst of while life is hard. Grace then follows you even into death as Jesus immediately brings you into his presence. That's the next question. And then grace follows you into your resurrection at the end of all things where we stand in la at the last judgment in Christ. And we get off scot-free because Jesus claims us. And it says we will then be acknowledged by name and acquitted and they made perfectly blessed for eternity. So what Colossians teaches us straight from Paul coming from Jesus to never get over the grace you received in Christ and that's going to form a beautiful community. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you received grace from Jesus, so live by that grace in Jesus. So grace be with you all. That's how Paul ends. From beginning to end. 
And if you're struggling to hold those two things together, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with Jesus' illustration. I'll leave us with the gospel, right? Beautiful community. You need the scriptures. We need everyone working together. And then we need a lot of grace, especially to deal with each other. Right? Jesus describes that grace beautifully in John 15, where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So you're trying to figure out what, how to do good works. Right? If you try and do anything good without Jesus' help, you're like a branch lying on the ground, disconnected, dead, trying to grow fruit. But by faith, when you're joined by union in Christ, well, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. We're drinking deeply from his love, from his grace, from his forgiveness. Then you can bear fruit because you have the, the nourishment to do so. This is a great lead into communion for next month or whenever we get there again. Jesus says, abide in me, abide in my love, and you will bear fruit. And then he also says, how do you abide in my love? Keep my commandments. So, right? a vine and branches of the same body, you're united, you're in Christ, nourished by the same love, the infinite love of God the Father. You're now the same stuff as Jesus. Right? Partakers of the divine nature, says Peter. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you to his disciples. That, that's abiding in that love. And then you're said, commanded to be fruitful, to keep commandments. And because you're connected to the vine that's given you the strength to do it, it's going to be an act of grace anyway. What credit can you take if you got help from the vine? So we sang it, all hail the power of Jesus' name. You lay down your trophies at his feet. If I did it, I had help. I mean, this metaphor makes it absolutely clear that a beautiful community is impossible without union with Christ, which is articulated so clearly in Colossians that we need to receive the grace of his forgiveness and the grace of being faithful and obedient, even to the end, because there's never a moment where the branches do not depend on the vine for life and godliness. What does that look like? Jesus goes on. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I made known to you. Revelation. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Your good works will last so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You can ask for more grace. So we saw the beautiful community, different people following Jesus together, all dependent, submitting to King Jesus. May grace be with you all. And may Jesus equip all of us to believe and do what he commands. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot to think about, uh, but we, we thank you for the good news 
that you loved us enough to die for us, to give us new life, to even equip us with what we need to keep your will. And so I pray you would make Hope Church a place where people can ask good questions, they can meet Jesus, and then learn how to follow our Savior imperfectly, and we would be given the grace as a church to live out everything we've learned from Colossians, that we might, above all, put on love, which holds all this together in harmony, that that we would put on Christ, who is holding on to us. We pray this in his name and ask for your grace to be with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing, Yet Not I, But Christ in Me. And so if you'll stand as, as you are able, be projected behind me. <clears throat>